Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Keith Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is based on one particular idea. It began for me when a pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That question launched me into a journey of discovery, of interest, of looking deeply into the history of the Christian faith, and the Catholic Church, of course, is in there. It looms large in church history, and I encountered in that journey, for the very first time, the Catholic Church in its own words, from actual Catholic authors and sources, and realized then that what I thought I knew about the Catholic faith was based in large part on misconception, and more often than not, on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that that same gap, the gap between what do you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic faith. No misinformation here. And this week, I am joined by Talia Cruzzi to tell her incredible conversion story and how, really, she was inspired by the Catholic witnesses that she saw around her and how fascinating, how important that is for us who are Catholics and living out our Catholic faith, our our witness, and how amazing and inspirational this story is for the questions that she asked, the things that she was wrestling with, really, really cool twists and turns. There's a mental health diagnosis. There's Father Mike Schmitz, who looms large in this story. There's all kinds of uh, religious vocation for a little bit. It's a really interesting story. I think you'll love it. It's wonderful, and I'm really grateful to have her on this show this week for my fantastic guest. It's great, guys. You'll love it. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons and our one-time sponsors. Those links, if you want to help support this show, are in the show notes. And I have a new one-time sponsor to thank. Thank you, Margaret, for your very generous support of the show. Guys, your help to make this thing go and grow, well, that, that's what makes it go. This is your support financially, guys, your prayers and your financial backing of this show. So thank you. And thank you, Margaret, in a very special way for your more than generous one-time donation towards the show. Thank you so much. And now, guys, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Talia Cruzzi. It's a roller coaster. It's, it's all hidden here. It's wonderful. I hope you love it. I think you will. Please listen and enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you for watching. Please make sure you subscribe to this channel, hit the bell, uh, like this video, and interact in the comments below. And hey, uh, share this with a friend who you think might like this interview as well. Uh, just grab the link, uh, text it, email it, put it in their in their DMs. Do what you have to do to get this video uh, far and wide, please, friends, and, and help to grow the channel. It's growing bit by bit. And it's very exciting. Uh, and so thank you for helping with that as well, guys. If you are listening, on podcast. Thank you for listening. If you could make sure on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify to leave a rating or review, that helps to push the podcast out to more people and again grows the uh, the listenership for episodes like this one, which is going to be an absolute awesome episode. I am sure I am joined by Talia Cruzzi. She is a convert to the Catholic faith. Uh, she converted in 2006 as a sophomore in college and was shortly after that diagnosed uh, with bi- bipolar disorder. 
very interesting story. We'll, we'll hear in a little bit. Um, <laughs> while she was discerning religious life in 2010, uh, sounds awesome. She's now a wife, uh, mom to five kids, primary homemaker, and an emotional regulation coach, where she helps other Catholic women overcome overwhelm and anxiety through the same emotional regulation skills that she learned during her time in the convent. That's going to be an awesome interview. I, <laughs> I, I love, we talked a bit about this before too, Talia, uh, behind the scenes, kind of connecting Sounds like an awesome story. I'm stoked to hear it. So welcome to the show. Thanks for being here and, and hello. Well, hello and thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited. Um, anytime I get to share my conversion story and just um, share how God's grace is very much at work. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just so exciting because, right, it is his work. It's yes, his work. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, you look back and you just... I don't know about for you, but as a convert, you look back and you just go, oh, thank God. You know what I mean? Like, just <laughs> what a miracle. Yeah, what a miracle. Yeah. Thank you so much. So, um, yeah. So, well, I was baptized a Methodist, actually, as a baby. Um, thankfully, my mom was pretty bent on having her babies baptized, which um, was good for me. <laughs> um, I'm one of seven girls. Wow. And um, yeah. And so because... And that was such a, a gift because in second grade, we started going to the, our evangelical church, um, which was in the big city of Rochester, Minnesota. So I grew up on a farm um, outside of Rochester, but you know, we did everything in our small hometown of 2000 people. Um, so, you know, Rochester was, was big for us, even though it was only a th- hundred thousand people, but um, you know, we did everything in our small hometown, hometown Chatfield. And so we went to school there. My mom worked at the care center, my dad farmed, you know, and it was a typical small town, you know, you know, everyone, everyone knows you, you don't go to the gas station or grocery store or anywhere without at least people knowing, you know, who you are, um, which has its pros and cons. (laughs) And so I, we were, I was baptized in the Methodist church in my hometown of Chatfield. And then, like I said, in second grade, we switched. I'm sure it was some type of, we didn't, a new pastor came in. We probably didn't like it. And um, we had family members going to this big happening evangelical (laughs) church up in Rochester, like, Hey, come and check this out. And so we went and we went there all throughout the rest of my childhood. So, um, we did that. And so I, I remember, you know, we would, the structure was, you know, you had early service and then you had Sunday school for yeah, everyone, yes, adults yes, and yes. children, and then you had late service. And so, I mean, this was not like an in and out deal. This was like, you're committed pretty much, you know, for, for most of your morning. And so I remember going to Sunday school and I remember it was very um, important to, you know, ask Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you know, into your heart and make that prayer. And so you would do that with your Sunday school teacher. And then I guess like that, like that was it. Like you, you're like, you're saved now. And I was like, I have no idea what that means, but okay. (laughs) And, um, and I remember my, my Sunday school teacher, you know, she told me, she goes, I do it. I pray this prayer every year, just in case, you know, and I'm like, just in case, like, what does that mean? You know? Um, but yeah, it was a great, it was a great community. It was, you know, it had a worship band and it had, um, you know, an awesome 
you know, gathering center. It was, you know, and it was very welcoming, very hospitable. And, you know, it was really great to be surrounded with good people. Now, for people who grow up in a small town, this is important to know that, um, you know, church was the only thing we didn't do in our small town. And which I think is important, was important for me because it kind of gave me this sense of freedom, if you will, or like anonymity that I didn't have anywhere else in my life. And so that was helpful when things start to turn when you're in junior high and high school and you start to ask the questions and you just feel the freedom to to go and do that. Um, And you can step outside of the profile or the people, you know, this is who you are and that's the family you come from and all that stuff. Um, So golly. So then it was, you know, you go through junior high, which is kind of just socially a hard time. And you're like, is there anybody that's like nice on the earth? You know, you're just like, oh, golly. And I just I remember being suddenly very um, intrigued by wanting to just be a really good kid. And I just really wanted to be a good person because that's, you know, that's what my parents, I could tell were trying to teach me was to be good, you know? And so what does that mean? Um, To be a good student, to be a good athlete, you know, okay, I can do those things. Like, so just to be a good human though, what does that mean? And so, you know, you have the wheels that are starting to turn. And then I remember thinking, well, I'm a Christian. Maybe I should like know more about this Jesus guy, you know? And like, maybe I should, um, go to a camp or something, you know, I don't know. So (laughs) the summer after my ninth grade year, I went to Camp Victory, which was the camp that was associated with our um, church. And I went there totally by myself. I was like, I'm, I'm here to learn about Jesus, you know? Um, And it was, you know, it was funny. I was thinking back and it was heavily a Baptist camp um because there's some there's some brotherly love between evangelicals and baptists that like we just like kind of get each other in a sense i don't know you know there's there is something that was like this is no big deal you know um but at the same time i wouldn't have ever you if you would have asked me am i protestant i would have been like i don't know what you're talking about like if you ask me what my denomination is, you know, I would be like, well, I'm non-denominational and I'm a Christian. So it's funny because as a Catholic now we would say, Oh, you're Protestant, but like, I don't know. I I definitely would have been like, I do not know. I I don't relate with that. Anything that comes from the word protest. No, I'm a Christian, you know? So um, anyway, uh, so heavily Baptist influenced camp that was also, you know, quote unquote, non-denominational, but it's just kind of like felt, you know, uh, this is just a good way to be open to everyone. Um, And that was great. I met a lot of good friends and it was fun. You know, it was great to have relationships where you're, you can talk about Jesus, you can talk about being good and you can also have fun together. And, um, you know, because then that's what real relationships are. Um, you're not just meeting at Bible study. You're not just meeting at youth group. But, you know, I made friends that we hung out then 
a lot because there was actually one, there was actually a couple of people from my small town that I was like, Oh, you're, you go here. So then, <laughs> you know, um, that was just, that was fun. Uh, and, but at the same time, that's when I started asking questions. And I remember asking particularly, um, you know, as we would get together throughout the year, then um, not just in the summers, but all the people who went to camp got through, got together throughout the year. And I asked, I said, you know, so what do we believe about people who like have no idea that Jesus exists? You know, like people in the Middle East or people who have just like, I have no idea who Jesus is. Like even theoretically, somebody on an island has never heard of Jesus. Like, do we believe they go to hell? And that was, that was my thing. And the guy, the teacher, you know, minister, um, Bible leader, whoever it was, um, he said, well, yeah, that's why we have missionaries, you know? And I remember being like, Ooh, that doesn't really make sense to me. I, you know, or <laughs> I just thought God would have been bigger than that, you yeah. know, like, well, that's no fair for them. So that was my big thing. Um, that kind of was bothering me. And then also in high school, I had an older sister who was attending Notre Dame and um, she had converted to Catholicism. And I thought, oh, really? That's weird. Oh, that's too bad. You know? (laughs) And so, and she, she, so she graduated my ninth grade year. Okay. So then she did her master's and she became a youth minister actually. And so she was working as a, Catholic youth minister when I was a senior in high school must have been. Yeah. And she was working for the diocese of Duluth, Minnesota. And she being the older sister that she was, she said, Hey, um, she, she, so I'm six out of seven and she is fourth out of the seven. So anyway, she would tell us the younger three, what to do a lot. (laughs) And it's basically what, what happened. Um, so she goes, Oh, Hey, why don't you guys come to this camp? I'm having like that we're hosting this summer. And mind you, now I'm a senior and I know everything. Like I'm, (laughs) I'm cool. I do not need to go to some Bible camp in the summer. You know, um, no, thanks. Uh, And she goes, and so, but for some reason we were all going because she said we were going to go. And, (laughs) and so this came, this was the third week after June. I had just graduated. We just went, we just went to London for like our Shakespeare class trip. So I'm all cultured now. And (laughs) then I went, I think I got my wisdom teeth out right after that. And then I like, this camp started on Monday and I'm like, I don't want to go this. I'm past this. I went to camp. And she, so and it ended up being, a, do they have discipleship weeks anymore? D week um, net ministries was doing a, a camp that they did for, for high school students anyway. So she goes, no, you can come meet my priest that I work with. He's really dynamic and he's really charismatic. You'll love him. He's great. And you'll be, get to meet all my other friends that, um, you know, are just really, really good. And, you know, side note for her, when she moved to Duluth, she goes, I kind of had a, another conversion because she goes, that was my first time really actually having friends who were really serious about growing in their faith, you know? Oh, so yeah, then, yeah. um, 
she goes like, I didn't even know you were supposed to go to mass every single Sunday, you know? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what she said. Or I didn't know it was, you know, a huge deal. Um, or, you know, it was a mortal matter. And so, um, so don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure she would say that. Um, she won't listen to this. Well, yeah, who knows? And so she, um, so she, she had all of us come to this camp, meet all of her friends. And it was, it was, it was really interesting because they were different than my other friends. Um, like this, this, it wasn't like, Oh, here's Jesus. And here's all these other topics. It was very much like, no, Jesus is in, in every topic. Wow. And, yeah, yeah. um, I think you know, there was something different. And, you know, growing up, you always knew that like, okay, it doesn't matter what denomination we are, but the Catholics are different. Like let's, yeah. the Catholics are different. And, you know, I even remember growing up, the Catholics all got out of school early on Wednesday to go to their religion classes. And I'm pretty sure, I don't even think we had meat on our lunches on Friday. You know what I mean? Like at least during Lent or something. Anyway, and it's not like it was a super Catholic area, but anyway, I just knew that they had, they were like for real, they were very serious about some things. I didn't know why, but their churches were bigger and prettier and they had a lot more rules and that's all I knew <laughs> kind of thing. And so, um, okay. So we're at this camp and, uh, this priest who is very dynamic and very charismatic. His name is Father Mike Schmitz. You might have heard of him. Yeah, of so, <laughs> um, so that was like, it was his first or second year of priesthood. And he was just so good wow, at, yeah. at um, teaching the faith. And it's his birthday today, actually. Wow, so, no um, yeah, yeah. So well, he won't listen I for sure. Thinking, so I know he's way too busy. He's got <laughs> lots of other things. He's like recording podcasts and yeah. stuff, something about a Bible or something. <laughs> but anyway, um, he, uh, he, ex he was able to just explain things, you know, and he just had a gift for working with the youth. And so I, I stood there, you know, pouting kind of on my chair, being like, I don't want to be here and just listened, though, you know, listened to things. Um, and I guess, you know, the obviously well, I had to ask my question, you know, well, what do you think about people who, um, you know, have no idea about Jesus, have never heard of him? Is he going to hell? Are they going to hell? You know, and, you know, the answer that like, well, we have no idea where anyone is going. I mean, in the sense that we can't say exactly where people are going. And I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> um, that was, I had never heard that before. You know, um, it was very much like, no, we know who is going to heaven and who's going to hell. Um, so that was interesting. And then there was this thing called the catechism that my sister had and she had, you know, let me borrow it for the week. And I was like, well, this is what I've been looking for in all of the times I've ever gone to church, you know, because I would ask these questions throughout high schools. There are other questions that you're like, is there something I can like, what do, what does, what do we believe about this? And it would just kind of change from pastor to pastor, you know, yeah. and kind yeah. of, yeah. you know, which was not, um, very freeing. And it was just like, there's a load on you. Then like, you have to figure it out and you kind of have to choose which one. And it's really hard to believe in objective truth. If, if there really isn't necessarily sure. any, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. um, 
And so that was, that was um, interesting. So, oh my goodness, this catechism thing. I was like, well, <laughs> holy cow, that's helpful, you know? And just reading, you know, just opening it up, you just, you read the first, just the first three paragraphs and you're yes. like, well, this is nice to hear. You know, it's just how everyone just this universal <laughs> yes. desire. And you're just like, this makes so much yeah. sense. This like yeah. pulls at my heart, yeah. you know? And then, and then, I mean, this was a packed week where I learned about the sacraments. I'd never known about the sacraments. I learned that mass was like the same everywhere you go in the world. I was like, what? Um, so you don't have programs. Like you don't have a program that you just go in and everyone knows what to do. Uh, that I remember that was, that floored me. Like, I was like, oh, okay. Um, that also is really just the universality of the, of the church and how it's like all over. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting that like you graduate high school and you don't even like, even know that just on a uh, social level that um, the Catholic church is the same everywhere. Yeah. And, um, and then you know, I, now I can't remember if this was also in the same week or later, but, you know, <laughs> the whole history part comes into play, right? Sure. Of yeah, just yeah. like the apostolic succession and like, right, the whole, you know, well, where did the Bible come from? And um, like, what what happened between, right, um, 33 AD and 15 15 or whatever it was. And it's like, oh, just putting it in historical context. And that was a, a total switch for me yeah. in my brain of like, oh, this is actual, like it, it's not just in my belief world. It's also part of like our real world yeah. 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 that like real um, incarnation, if you will, of like, no, this actually happened anyway. So um so that was all that. And then on top of that, I mean, I guess the biggest social teaching for me, um, and this is where it's a little backwards than most other uh, conversion stories, but in high school, you know, I was a typical high school girl and I, you know, I'd gone to Christian camp. And so all I knew is that like, okay, I'm going to remain a virgin until I'm married. And yet I was an athlete, you know, you're in the locker room and you're hitting what, what's up with all this birth control stuff? And so I just, um, it made no sense to me. I was like, why would you take a pill to tell something in your body that it's supposed to do to stop doing that? You know, like that doesn't seem right. You know, that doesn't seem healthy at all. And, um, and so for some reason, God gave me a, a lot of grace in that to just Oh, I accepted that one from the very beginning that it didn't, it didn't really make sense. And then I do remember, <laughs> I do remember getting a long letter again from my, my this same sister um, when she was in college <laughs> and she goes in her letter, she had sex equals babies. Like, just don't, you know, <laughs> like <her>. just, <laughs> just know, you know, cause she knows that she knows that my mom and dad weren't necessarily pounding it into our heads, you yeah. know? Mm -hmm. And not that my mom and dad were, um, they did the best they could too, you know, but they were just kind of more, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out. Just don't do it until you're married. And, um, that was it. And so that was right. That was just really helpful anyway. So the whole social teaching, and I remember I had a really great, wonderful guy I dated in high school. And I remember telling his mother, like, 
the whole, my whole thing with birth control and how it didn't make sense. And she goes, well, you should be Catholic. That's what Catholics think. <laughs> and I'm like, why is she telling me to be Catholic? I'm talking to her about birth control anyway. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was funny. Cause I was just like, yeah, yeah. okay, interesting. But so then when I heard about like, yeah, those social teachings on that level, um, again, that was really interesting. Like, oh, the church has something to say about yeah. this and that and the other thing. Not just like, just believe and repent and you're good to go, you know? Um, so it just reached all of a sudden this deeper ache that you had, that you're like at, at that point in my in time, in that point in my life, you're starting to kind of numb out because you're like, you know, I'm going to go to college and we're going to have fun and it's going to be the best. So anyway, so then I go to college and it was the worst <laughs> and it was awful. You know, oh. you, I looked forward to college and I went to the University of Miami in Florida. OK, I went from Chatfield, Minnesota, uh, population 2000 <laughs> to Miami, because that's where this guy that I was dating, who I yeah. really liked, went. We were both going to go to Notre Dame. And then that didn't happen. So then I was like, well, I have no idea where I want to go now. And he goes, well, I kind of want to go to Miami. And I was like, okay, great, let's go. And <laughs> we went and I felt like I, the best way I always explain it is like, you know, in Pinocchio, when they go to the bad island and that everyone is terrifies doing- terrifies me. Bad things. Yeah. That's what yeah. my college experience felt like in the first like <laughs> oh, no. month or two. You know, you just- you didn't realize how naive you are yeah, until yeah. you go to Miami. And it was like, we don't drink in the backyard. Like we go to, <laughs> we, we club, like we go to clubs, you know? And I was like, that's scaring me. And I do remember at one point, you know, you give it a month, you kind of like, all right, let's go test out things. And I don't know where we're at some frat party. And I'm like, I am leaving. This is ridiculous. Everyone is drunk here what is the point? This is just unsafe. I, and I walked back to my dorm room and I'm like, I'm going to go read little house on the prairie because I'm just traumatized right now. <laughs> yes. And I think I did. I was just like, <laughs> I want to go home. <laughs> and so that was a very lonely period. It was, it was very lonely. I ended up, you know, my, my boyfriend at the time we, we broke up and um, at the same time, you know, reminding here that I had just gone to this, camp like between I graduated and right before I went to Miami for college I went to this camp and I learned all about this Catholic church thing yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was sticking that was sticking and so there was a Catholic church right across the street from my dorm you could see it from my dorm room and so I started going to mass there because I knew I would become Catholic I just didn't have the urgency quite yet I was like I'm going through a lot right now I can't do this, you know, quite yet. I didn't see the urgency because I hadn't really, the Eucharist had been explained to me, but I was like, I don't get it. You know, I'm like, that seems weird. <laughs> and um, so then I just started going to mass because I had nowhere else to go. You're so lonely in college. Yeah. Like you're just, at least I was, I was so lonely and I didn't know what was going on. And I, I went from being, you know, kind of famous in a small town with lots of friends and lots of people giving pats on the back to like, you know, completely anonymous in a huge city. People are making fun of you because you're not doing what they're doing. And you have a picture of Jesus in your room. Like why, you know, they're, um, 
they don't understand why you would ever wait to until you're married to have yeah, sex. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? You know? Um, so you're going through a lot of attack and doubt and all that stuff. So it was so great to be able to go to mass and just sit and I couldn't receive communion, but I was so fascinated with just like all of the little, you know, the chalice and the patent and like, Oh, those, that looks so fancy. And, you know, I just, just, I don't know. It was just so intriguing. And then I started going to the campus group there, I guess. And, um, yeah. And then my sophomore year, I continued to go to Miami. I continued to go to school there because I didn't think you could actually transfer. I thought like, that's, that's what quitters do. Um, I can't quit and I'm from the Midwest and you know, you just don't do that. You just continue on. And then I realized that, Oh, I'm pretty sad here. Like again, we had, I, so after my sophomore year, I became Catholic that year. And that was, that was a good, it was a, it was a good experience. I mean, RCA was not what I thought it was going to be. You know, it's, it was, this is not, this is not what I had at the camp. Like Father Mike says it a lot different than you, <laughs> than you. Um, and I remember having him on speed dial. I I literally had him on speed dial after every single class. I'd be like, is this true? Is that what they really think? Cause we started to get into like, I don't know if it was really, um, there were some things like, Oh, you know, um, women in the priesthood and, um, uh, things like that, that I just like, I don't, that doesn't seem like that would jive. I don't know about this church very much, but <laughs> I'm just, I, I don't think so. I don't know. I can't, I don't have the answer why, but anyway, so, um, so then the summer after my sophomore year, I had become Catholic, received the Eucharist. It was so great. It was awesome. And then I realized I was really sad and I went back. Um, my sister still lived in Duluth and I was so happy there. And so then, you know, I was like, why don't I just go live here? And so I did, I transferred from Miami to up to Duluth and finished my education there. Um, and attended the Newman Center there. And again, it was really great to be able to foster good friendships and good relationships and um, continue just to learn and be involved in that. So then, uh, you know, the next step as far as being Catholic and being in college, you're all like, okay, so who am I going to marry or who am I going to, you know, all of a sudden you have that vocation thing, like, oh my goodness, what's my vocation? And you know, looking back, you don't realize how like you just do the you just do what's in front of you, you know, but it's just not clear when you're in college and all of a sudden you just don't know what to do. Um, so I, I really liked this guy and then he went to the seminary and then you're like, oh, that sucks. Like <laughs> that is not a problem Protestants have. But anyway, he's a priest now and that's really awesome. So um, then, you know, you start to go, well, sh I should think about religious life or I feel like I should start to think about religious life. You, you feel like all of a sudden you have this obligation. Yeah. Um, but then there was also this like kind of desire for for that. Um, and these sisters from the religious life, religious sisters of um, mercy of Alma, Michigan, um, came to visit and I was very interested 
um, in just their apostolate and how they lived their life. And my sister, again, um, we had, there was a, a, a gal from Duluth who had joined their order. And so I had kind of, you know, I knew about them and then I, I learned about them. And I had also looked into the Nashville Dominicans. They were, um, I think I, so this is when it, it was called the Focus Conference. I think now it's Seek Conference or Seek, you know, just Seek. But um, right when this, the Focus Conference was starting up, so back early 2000s, I had gone, saw actual religious life in the flesh, you know, and was like, oh, I want to know about these people. Was really attracted to the Nashville Dominicans, went to a couple of retreats there. But they, I, at the time I was on antidepressants and they they were like, well, that's just a hard no then. And I was like, whoa, really? And they're like, yeah, we just we just can't accept people who are in, in antidepressants, you know, because we just don't have the resources to really, to give to you that, of you know, what you would need. So then I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so now I, I was looking into re the Religious Sisters of Mercy. I went and visited them out in Michigan and um, really felt, strongly uh attracted and you know felt like very at home there so um and i was pre-med at that time and um f for those of the you know f for those who don't know about the order they have a lot of doctors they have they work at a professional level so they have doctors and lawyers and professors and things like that and um so that was you know very attractive to me that I could go and be a, a sister and be a doctor at the same time. Like, wow, that that's, that's neat. So I went, I said, I think I'm called here, except that I have, you know, I'm on antidepressants. Is that a problem? And she goes, well, no, because we're doctors, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, and so they, they did accept me, but you know, for everyone who who goes to um, you know seminary or these certain orders, you have to take a psychological evaluation, um, which is like a two day thing. You know, it's not like a answer this and send the email in. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like you have to fly there, you have to go there for two days in person, do all these you know weird questions and draw draw a house and you know all these things. Um, <laughs> And then they evaluate you. So at the end of this evaluation, and I can't remember if it was right then or I think it was probably later, but um, the doctor, the psychiatrist, the sister who had diagnosed me, she goes, I, I, I'm pretty sure you have bipolar, you know? And I was like, oh. oh. And at the same time, I was <laughs> like, well, that makes sense because I had come, you know, the last four or five years had been terrible and it ran in my family. So it wasn't like I was completely surprised, but I also like, was like, well, so what, you know, it's fine, <laughs> you know, and let's get on with life and let's avoid that. Let's just pretend that never happened. Um, and she goes, no, that's, that's a big thing. <laughs> and <laughs> so she goes, so then I remember um, uh, the postulant mistress calling me and she goes, so we think you should do a pre-postulant year. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? She goes, so you're going to do an extra year before you enter postulancy. And you're going to go to Germany to do that. You're going to go to our convent in Germany. Because they had one in Germany and they had a few international convents. 
And I was like, okay. And she goes, and you're going to come here for a month before you go to Germany. You're going to go to therapy every day and we'll, you know, get that all figured out. So anyway, you just come August 1st and we'll see you, (laughs) you know, basically. (laughs) Yeah, wow. (laughs) I just remember it was very short and I just remember getting off the phone and being like, what? (laughs) You know, um, (laughs) okay. Uh, So... So then that's what happened. My sister and my mom drove me out there and dropped me off beginning of August, I believe. And I did a month of therapy and I went every single day. Um, I had gone to therapy before, you know, when it's like once a week and, you know, um, there's there was really no direction or, or anything like that. Um, and so but. So my psychiatrist, this sister, Sister Marisha is is her name and she's just so wonderful. And, you know, she said, you can live a normal life. You can. You can live a normal life. You can live a stable life, but you're going to have to learn some things and you're going to have to, you know, acquire some habits and you're going to have to change a little bit. She goes, but you're young enough that you can do that. And you can, you know, it, it, it's good. It can be okay. And she kind of, and that's, that was what was so great, you know, to sum up the religious life experience was that, you know, so you have this diagnosis. Well, welcome to the club. We all got our stuff. You know what I mean? You just, you, you're still called to holiness. Yeah, you still, know. you know, it's not your fault that you have that necessarily, but it is now your responsibility that you have to kind of take up and, and do that. So that was great. And that was, so I went to Germany for a year and um, that whole year was just about like learning how to sleep again uh, and learning how to live on a, a routine. She goes, because, you know, they said the whole thing is that you're not going to be able to enter into religious life. It's going to be too stark of a difference from what you're doing now. Cause I was all over the place. And so um, yeah, you're just going to learn how to sleep. You're going to learn how to live a routine and live in in community a little bit more. And it was great. It was great. I went with a suitcase and I didn't have cash. I didn't have credit card and I have a smartphone. I didn't have a job. I didn't have school. I didn't. It was nothing. It was like show up and be like, you know, um, OK, tell me what to do. Um <laughs> So my family was like, so this is like sound of music for real, like for real, like you're going to the sound of music. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Um, but it kind of was like that. <laughs> it was, it was beautiful. I lived in a rural air, you know, rural village of Germany and yeah. just had the year to really sing, stabilize. <laughs> yeah. And sing. And, and, you know, it was great. And so, um, that was a that, there was a lot of healing in that, and there was a lot of healing in in just being loved in that in the everyday wow. of um, and then just really it was probably my introduction to the fact that these simple tasks are the big tasks, you know, the cleaning and the cooking and the watering the plants and all that stuff like that. Though this is what life is, you know, this is. Because before that, it was always like, what's my next career thing and medical school and blah, blah, blah. And it was all about that. And so that was really good. Um, and then I I discerned out to March of 2013. It became very clear that like I had 
I, as much as I had been attracted to their apostolate, I was attracted to their way of life and their, you know, this particular group, Jesus had not been asking me necessarily to be his spouse in this way, which was kind of like, Ooh, hurt. Like, come on, <laughs> you know, like, um, but you know, to really be like, no, I, I have a designated helper for you, you know, and, yeah. um, you need, you need a helper like, and you need to go help that person too. So then, um, you know, fast forward, I got married in June of 2015 and, um, we met on Catholic match because as soon as I was out of the convent, I was like, okay, well I'm doing a process. I'm doing my discernment by process of elimination. Okay. So it wasn't that. And so now I must be called to getting married. And I had a sister who had done Catholic match and I was you know, this was before like online dating was a huge, huge thing. It was still kind of scary and weird. And, um, and yet, so, and I thought it was like Catholic, you know, Catholic Google, like, here's my things. Okay. <laughs> pop up. Who should I marry? Okay. Um, and it, it's not like that. Uh, but it was great. Um, in, in the fact that you get to go outside of your social circle and you're like, I know everyone, like, I don't know. Um, so that was really great. And I met and married a, a wonderful man and, um, and, uh, we have five children, you know? And so, and that's, that's where we're at now. And, um, so that's kind of, yeah, that's a little bit about where I'm at and it's just, it's, it's been so wonderful. And, I am just, I live such a rich, a rich life. And a lot of it is being aware of all that you have been given and how it's all really just a gift. Um, I went and got my, I did go and get my master's in psychology a few years ago through Divine Mercy University because, you know, recognizing how I was able to, I just, I don't think I would have been able to be stable enough to be married and to be a wife and to, you know, be a mom had I not really been really loved on by these sisters and, and, you know, kind of just taught like, you know, this is, you know, this is kind of what, what's the quote, you know, this is not a museum of saints. This is a hospital of sinners kind of thing, you know, like this, this is this is a struggle and you're still called to virtue and you're still called to holiness through that. And so um, I saw just so many other women and moms struggling with some of these, like really just basic life things that I had been struggling with. And so um, I started to, to coach very part-time and um, then I went and got my, my master's. Cause I'm like, I think people should, have an educated, trained person as, as, as far as this goes, you know, because, um, I mean, yeah, if I want to really be the best that I can be, you know, as, as far as that. And so that was great. And so that's, I, I'm just really, really excited to be able to, to do that. And, um, I love talking about anything, you know, with mental health and, um, because the way that our society 
I, I treats it. It's more like, well, let's just talk about mental illness all the time. Um, but no one really knows what, like, well, men, what is mental health? Yeah. Like the healthy yeah, part. Right. Yeah. Um, what does that look like? And so anyway, that's a, that's, that's kind of <laughs> that in a, in a, a nutshell. And you just can, you realize it's always your conversion story is never done really yeah, yeah. because you're continually growing deeper and deeper every day. And um, it's interesting because now, so my sister became Catholic. I have two other sisters who became Catholic. Ask, my, par- yeah. my, my parents are now Catholic. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> so it makes going to Christmas mass a lot easier that you're not like, <laughs> Hey, so we need to go to mass. So we're out like, we'll be back. Um, and everybody's like, what, why? And you know, um, so that's, that's, that's made it easier, but, um, you know, it was, it was hard at the beginning, especially when, um, your parent, you know, parents were kind of questioning yeah, yeah, things, but yeah. I, my dad's like, well, it's not like you don't believe in Jesus or something, you know? Um, I said, he goes, not that big of a deal. I said, oh, okay, that's, that's good. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, amazing. but it's been, it's been beautiful. It's been really good. That's amazing. So. I was gonna, I was gonna mm-hmm. ask for other sisters if they became Catholic, and then your parents. That, that's mm-hmm. that's amazing. Mm-hmm. What is your What is your first sister feel like? Is she like? Did she just kind of brag like, "Oh look, look what I've done"? I'm sure she's not. I'm sure she's not. I think she's. I think she's grateful that she has yeah, other sisters to to go along with her on the journey. You know, um, especially now that we are we're all married and have tons of little kids, and it's yeah. just like. <laughs> You know, it's it's hard. It's a good season, but yeah. it's um, yeah, it's been it's been fun to just be on that journey with her. And I think, yeah, so I think she's just grateful to have have companions. Well, that's amazing. So. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing ripple effect. What one kind of can mm-hmm. you know, experience can, and I mean, that's kind of cool that 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 happened at a Catholic university. Obviously, she encountered things there that really got yeah. the ball rolling for her and really. I, I think that, that that ripple effect is really cool. Right? Just to think about, mm-hmm. we, we uh, my wife and I, both converts ourselves, recently had just a, a completely kind of random friend of, of ours mm-hmm. d- discern uh, the Catholic faith and become Catholic. And it was like, kind of for us, out of left field, and we're like, wow, you, you have no idea the ripple effects that these mm-hmm. these things have in, in one conversion begins to cause other people to kind of ask questions or look around and kind of go, what, what are they, what are they, what do they yeah. know that we don't, that we don't know? Right. And begin to look mm-hmm. into that. And then, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing that, you know, God knows the, the fruits of that and, and has that, that plan and vision, but you have no idea how it unfolds like that. And it's, it's amazing mm-hmm. to kind of look back. You mentioned this before at the beginning, I think of, of the conversation to look back and be like, wow, look how this, look how this happened. Mm-hmm. We had no idea this could possibly happen like this. Right. And I think, I think in your story, hope too for people who are like, oh gosh, like never. Like I, I can think of lots of people who've been on this show, people who have written into me, whose, whose spouse or whose friends or whose parents, whose family, they're like, oh, they'll never become Catholic. And it's so hard to be part of this kind of relationship mm-hmm. to, to kind of, you know, really just hope and pray for them and try to kind of... Mm-hmm evangelize where, where, where you can and hope that you're mm-hmm. being a good Catholic and that, that might rub off, but, but seeing no fruits, that's, that's tough sometimes, right? So to hear stories like this 
where mm-hmm. where so many members of your family have become Catholic. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, yes. So this this does happen, guys. Look, see, this is yeah. this is possible. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And I think I think it goes to show too of just like how important it you know, our witnesses to everyone, you know, as far as not to be like a fake, you know, like, oh, everyone's watching me, but like, you just never know, like what your witness is. And especially as a parent now, you're like, yeah, Yeah. that's my biggest thing. You know, I I had a friend once who said, how do you, how do you plan to like, to, to show your kids the faith? And I think she was maybe thinking I would come up with like some program or something that I was going (laughs) to go through. And I was like, I just want to be myself and I hope that they kind of, yeah, you know, um, pick up along the way, you know, I guess, um, I mean, of course I'm going to be, you know, uh, we'll be a little bit more intentional than just that, <laughs> but I hope that that's my biggest witness yeah. is, is that, and that's why I'm also, you know, that's why I want to be, a. I think it's so important to be authentically joyful, you know, because especially like, I don't know, different pockets of, of society with motherhood. They're like, oh, you have so many kids. You must be going crazy or, you know, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it is hard. But at the same time, you don't want to be that witness that is like, yeah, yeah. this is what big families are like, yeah. you know, sucks to be us. You know, no, like, no, like, this is great, you know, and um, how to be real, you know, yes, at the same time, yes. you know, you can be humorous and funny, but um just that's that's where I'm going through like almost right now is just like how anti large family our culture is, yes, you know, yeah. and they just don't understand like even when you live in a very Catholic area, you know, like why would you why would you just keep having all these children, you know, and you're just like, well, it's not not really any of your business yeah, to be yeah. you know, first of I all, mean, yeah. first of all, but you know, yes. um, anyway, it's yeah. just. It's funny. Yes, and we 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 have four, and we found, and we're mm-hmm. we we found the blessing of of meeting other big Catholic families, right? I'm sure you know mm-hmm. this too, right? Because then it just seems normal. It's kind of mm-hmm. normalized for at least your kids and mm-hmm. your kids' friends when everyone has these big, bigger, larger families. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what's what we do. Like that's mm-hmm. that's normal. oh oh, like you know, so Johnny only has like one sibling. That's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. everybody else that I know has has three or four or five, right? It becomes yeah. a kind of normal thing. I think. It's, I think is interesting to mm-hmm. kind of normalize that when you look mm-hmm. around at everybody else also has kind of big families. Right? Yeah. It's not always possible to do right. But right. We, we have recently moved to, to a new area here, which is a whole other story, okay. but th- that has been for us a, a real blessing to meet other mm-hmm. and live and, and raise our families, the other large Catholic families who then mm-hmm. like, this is the, this is the vibe. Like we're all a little yeah. bit, on the border of chaos all the time, right? Because that's just yeah. how that's just how it is. Like, and that's that's yeah. the reality. We're all in that kind of same boat, which is mm-hmm. which is awesome, right? And what you know, and then you just what a blessing it really is, you know, because it's to, you don't have to go far to find other people and yeah. friends who yeah. who want that, and right, it's not possible for them, or it's very difficult and. Um, you know, that's a whole suffering that is, um, you know, uh, God has, you know, plans of making them holy through that, you know, and, and yet, so that's been interesting too, of just like, do I, you know, it's interesting to be like, oh, I have five children. They're such a blessing at the same, you know, it's a lot. And yet really they are, uh, what a gift, you know, um, because, 
I didn't do uh, like, what did I do to deserve this when I have a perfectly awesome, good friend who equally deserves that. And, you know, so um, it it just makes you think of gratitude a little, a little differently, I guess. And yeah, so, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely fun. It's, it's so fun, especially like just when you can meet other families and, you know, especially when you grow up, you, you don't grow up in a Catholic family. You grow up in a good family and, and stuff, but like Advent, like, well, I don't know, we never did Advent, you know, <laughs> or like all these things that you're like, I don't, this is new to me. I don't know. Yes. And so it's really fun to see the witness and then just like learning from each other yeah, and, yeah. um, and yet also still discerning it's easy to get caught up with all of the external things and yet you know doing things that don't disturb your your peace like you're gonna get through even if you don't have a jesse tree it's gonna be okay you know (laughs) it's it's okay like um you know not getting caught up necessarily with all the external stuff but it's fun to learn yeah um and and do things different with your kids that you're like you know i didn't do this yeah you know yeah at all yeah um yeah so that's it's fun yeah i think that's awesome you talked about the idea of a of a Mm -hmm. gift too and uh, these things being a gift i think what a really interesting gift it was that the, the the sisters gave to you in this mm-hmm. in this diagnosis like the kind of and and mm-hmm. this and this year of really helping you to to adjust and kind of like mm-hmm. grow into that i think that's really i wouldn't have ever imagined that a gift of religious life would be a diagnosis of a mental you know of this and then mm-hmm. that 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 space to heal and grow like that's not what you think of when you think of discerning religious life that you'll right. go there and be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Like that's kind of yeah. a, that's not really the plan. I think that most people would have in mind when they begin to discern this life. Right. But what a, what a gift that, that is. And I think cool too, how you take that gift and then you want to carry that forward in, in, in the work that you do in mental health. Like that's mm-hmm. a cool example of, of taking a thing that could be a suffering thing and could be a, a burden and across the bear and mm-hmm. and using that to help others, like mm-hmm. you know, bear a cross or, or or figure things out, or to, to, that's really cool. I, I yeah, love that kind of connection. Well, and it's you realize right that like that's where <laughs> your your burden becomes becomes one of the greatest things, sure, right? Yeah. I always kind of think of I think it's C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce. You know the the little dragon on his shoulder becomes the great stallion and he rides off in it. And anyway, and it's, it's one of the CS Lewis things that you're like, that's a great vision. I don't know how to explain that, but you know, um, just how, right. Like you can take some of the suckiest things that you're going through in your life and you can come out on the other side and then you can help other people go through that because that life is hard, you know, like, there are going to be things that come up. It is not a conflict-free affair. And, you know, a lot of things, and not only just mental health, but just like, it, I mean, and it, you don't have to have a mental health diagnosis to know that like, hey, marriage is hard. Motherhood is hard. Parenthood is hard. Sometimes being Catholic in, in this culture is is hard. Things are hard. And again, right, Pope Benedict, one of the best sayings, right, Um you know, the world offers you comfort and you're not made for comfort. You're made for greatness. Yeah, and yeah. you need 
you need other people encouraging you to be great. It really does take other witnesses and other people encouraging you to do that. Otherwise, it's just, otherwise it's too hard, you know, in, in a sense. And um, so, yeah, it's whenever, you know, whenever I, I think of like, you know, um, I'm so busy. Why am I doing this coaching thing? Like, why do I do this? You know, cause it's so easy to think, why do I do anything other outside of diapers and <laughs> nursing and taking care <laughs> of kids? You know, like I'm just, I'm up to my eyeballs in this stuff. Like, why would I add something else? And at the same time, it takes me like two seconds to go back to remember how dark that was, sure, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and, and instantly it's just like, no, God did not give me that gift for nothing. And it was truly, it's when it's, you just feel so, when you are so indebted, you just feel like I can't keep this to myself. I have to go and share it with others. Um, and it doesn't have to be a hundred thousand people. It can be five people. It might be 10 people. It, it, you know, you don't, I'm, I'm also constantly saying like, you don't always have to have a side hustle or business or whatever. You know, there's a lot of women that are told like, you know, go start a side job and make thousands and thousands of dollars only working two hours a week, you know? And it's just like, um, also you, you don't have to do that. You can also just be a great you know, again, a great witness yeah. to your friends and your family. And, you know, um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just kind of being reminded that everything is a gift and we're meant to, to enjoy it and, and also give it away. Yeah. So yeah. I, th I think that's awesome. The, the last thing I want to ask mm -hmm. you as we close off, I guess is, yeah. I mean, the idea I'm thinking the, the role of like, of mental health in the Catholic mm -hmm. Church. I'm thinking of the the first order, the D Dominicans, right? Who I, I can understand their perspective in turning you away, yeah. saying we can't deal with yeah. this. That, that may, I mean that that makes sense. When I I was talking to my wife earlier about this idea, and and she was well, well who would ever why would it be a problem for anybody? Like, the, and I thought, well, yeah, but I can see how there would be a situation where someone might say, you know what, we can't we can't handle this. In, in the mm -hmm. seminary or in religious, li religious right. life here. Or something. I can see that being a possibility. Uh, why someone would say no. And then in your story, you, you encountered that. And then the next mm -hmm. order kind of says, okay, yeah, we can, we can, we can work with this. And that's a gift mm -hmm. to you. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. wondering like this, in the large scheme of things, there's, there's lots of places where somebody approaches the church, you know, whether it's, whether it's in confession or just wanting to talk to a priest mm -hmm. or uh, about something mm -hmm. or, or deal with something. There's so many places where the church says like, no, we don't, we can't deal with this. Like, this is not what we do. This is, this is something else. Mm. This, is, this is the other thing. And I can see good places mm -hmm. where the church says, actually, yeah, we, we, we can help with this. Let's, let's deal with this. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I've had before on this show a number of exorcists or people who work with exorcists and one of the, and mental health is huge in exorcism, right? Because the, the right. first thing that they mm -hmm. do is, is to make sure somebody isn't suffering from a mental illness or something and, and get them mm -hmm. the help they need, which is funny that, that the exorcists are, are hard at work <laughs> in that area. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I just wonder yes. where else, like, cause there's, there seems to be a lot of other blind spots where, Right. If mm -hmm. some if, if somebody is struggling with something and and bringing that lo looking for help, are they going to find it in the place where, right? The the field hospital, 
of the church should exist? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be turned away mm-hmm. at, at, at the doorsteps? Because, you know what, sorry, we, we, mm-hmm. can't, we can't deal with this here. This isn't our, our, our thing. We, we can do Mass. We, mm-hmm. can, we can pray. We can, you know, hey, we'll pray for you. Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Is there yeah, is there work to be done there? Is that, I guess oh, absolutely. I think so. I th- you know I think so. Like Dr. Greg Bataro is doing great work with the Catholic Psych Institute, and then there's you know he's always one that I refer to. And there's but but he's doing it because there isn't you know what I mean a whole right. lot yeah. of like. So I went to my Catholic charities, but um, it was kind of lacking in you know really uh, in one way or another maybe. Um, and I think a lot of it is just, uh, again, I think a lot of it is just like a, a theology of the body kind of sense of like, we are made of, we have a body, you have a brain, you know, you do have a brain and there are illnesses of your brain, but you also do have a soul and you do have a place where there is a will and you can choose things. And we have to kind of see, you know, to me, that's where the mind is so beautiful because it's this intersection between both your body and your soul and, and all of that. Um, And sometimes you do need help with, with the body part, you know? And um, so that's where it is. It is, I think there is work to be done uh, as far as that, but I think there's, (laughs) I think there's a lot just for, for people to, to go to confession. You know what I mean? Like to realize that what a huge, what a huge thing that is, you know, because mental health is not just in a therapy clinic, you know, that can be part of it. And that was one of my huge things is that like, yeah, you can go on meds and you can go to therapy, but that's not compartmentalized from the rest of your life. You know, it's not like, I'm just going to go to church on Sunday and I'm just going to take my, you know, like, it's not like this check, checklist of like my spirituality and then my mental health and like they're all different you know you're whole you're a whole person and they all go together and I think that's so I would say the holistic part that's where it's it's hard to find people who I think there's plenty of people to check off the different compartments finding people that are going to look at it from a whole view it is is hard but that's why also like Divine Mercy University uh it used to be the Institute for Psychological Sciences and, um, you know, they do great work too. I mean, that they're out, the program that I did was, um, particularly for lay people, you know what I mean? For priests, for teachers, you know, to have this like psychological element to, to just, you know, being able to understand psychological development and communication and then how personality, you know, goes with that and our view of the person, you know, uh, how that plays into, to all of that. So do I think that we're lacking in the holistic view? Yeah. I think we're, we're lacking in the holistic view and that's exactly why, you know, I, I guess I, I do the work is, you know, obviously God has called me to it. Um, but is to offer that because the, the other thing, you know, I, I per- on purpose didn't become a therapist, you know, because I'm like, the relationship is just really different. And I want to be able, you know, I have, uh, you know, a therapist, you don't know, they might've had a personal experience. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. You don't know. There's that professional boundary there that they, you don't get to know a lot about them, but you know, coaching is a little different. Um, as far as like, it's a little bit more free and I can have a little bit more of a relation. And that's, I think that's helpful for people because that's what we're made for. 
you know, we're made for like relationships and we can, you know, we can, we, when we heal, we heal in relationship, just kind of like how I did when I was in Germany and I had actual relationship with people. I didn't just see my psychiatrist. I also had other people who knew about my, about the diagnosis. And the great thing is they were kind of like, we don't really care. They were kind (laughs) of like, you know, so what? You're still called the holy, you know, holiness, and you still got to go and set up for holy hour at five o'clock, you know? And <laughs> that was great because so many people put so much emphasis on this diagnosis. Like if I, if I get a diagnosis, then I'll know what's wrong with me. And I'm like, it's not going to change anything really. Yeah, like yeah, it yeah. might help, it might help get on medication or something. It might help to understand things, but it's not going to give you a license or an out like, well, see, I have this, so now I can't do that. Like, that's not going to serve you well, yeah. you know? And that is one of the things that, you know, our culture kind of breeds this victim mentality. And I, I'm not trying to gaslight people. I mean, it is really a, a difficult thing. Um, but what if we just, we didn't allow that? What if, you know, okay. I mean, if I had said, well, I have bipolar, so I can't get married, you know? I mean, the divorce rate is super high. And I mean, that was the whole thing. When I was diagnosed with bipolar, I could not find one person who had like gone on to live a normal, stable life. Everyone was like, here's a book of all the crazy things I did before I was diagnosed. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, that's not helpful to me. You (laughs) know, Um, it makes great great drama, great drama. But like, that's not what I'm looking for, I guess. And um you know, again, I just wish I would have had somebody I could have been like, okay, there's hope. There's one person. Yeah, and yeah. I guess that's what I hope to be to, to awesome. others is like, okay, there's one person she's dealt with it and it's, it's been okay. You know, it's, that's it's okay. Awesome. Um, so yeah, to answer your question. Yeah. There's lots, there's always room to grow. Um, but there's a, that's why we have to answer the call and um, even in little ways. Yeah. So, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Listen, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, I, I appreciate no, it. You. you know, behind the scenes, this kind of kind of fell onto my plate, really, right? I had a guest that canceled and I kind of put it out there like, hey, anybody want to fill the spot? And whenever that happens, and it's, it's quite rare. I mean, it's, it's happened maybe two or three times in, in five years of podcasting. But every time it happens, you know, somebody wonderful just kind of slips in that spot. It's always uh, kind of me sitting back in the Holy Spirit playing the schedule. So I think that always happens. And so mm-hmm. thank you for filling that spot, uh, Talia. It's been awesome. I can definitely see why this was filled the way it was. Uh, God had some, oh, some plans in mind here. So uh, I'll put links oh, to some things you. in the show notes, but where do you want to point people sure. towards to to find, to follow you and uh, and, and see your stuff? Where, where, where should they go? Yeah, sure. They can go to mentalhealthforholiness.com is where you can find, I have courses and I have coaching um services there you can find me on that's my handle on instagram but um i'm i'm less and less on social media especially during (laughs) advent it's just so noisy so um you know if you go to my website it's probably the best way to to get a hold of me and you can find my contact information there and email me um yeah so that's where you can find me. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds great. And I'll put links to those things uh, in the show notes. Talia, thanks so much for being here this week. I want to say God bless thank you. you. God bless the work you're doing thank for the church. So uh, and thank you so much. This has been awesome. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for this podcast and for just uh, spreading all the great joy and hope and <laughs> hopefully have more, much money, money, more conversion ah, stories to come. We try. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I always say that the fill-in guests, those guests who are kind of like a, a last-minute addition to the roster sometimes, like Talia was, filling in a place for a guest who had to cancel because they were sick. Uh, she kind of came in, uh, not last, last minute, but later on, uh, less notice than normally I would like to give uh, when I invite a guest on to the show uh, to, to pinch hit here on this episode and I always say that those are the ones that God really orchestrates those kind of oh my gosh no one's on this week who can I get and somehow that gap is always filled in and those are the, always the most interesting and fascinating conversations and this one is, is exactly in that same vein hopefully you loved that please let me know thecordialcatholic.com is our website for show notes from my blog cordialcatholic at gmail.com to write uh, reach me I am oftentimes overwhelmed with emails, but I get back to those as soon as I can. Uh, so thank you for reaching out, and please continue to do so. We're on Facebook, The Cordial Catholic, at Cordial Catholic on TikTok, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Please find and follow us there. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, if you subscribe to the show, that's awesome. If you could just leave a rating or a review as well, because that helps to push the podcast out to new people and expand the scope of this thing, which I hopefully will bless more and more people and draw them into Christ and to his church. That's that's the goal, guys. So please help me in spreading that mission. If you want to back this show financially, those links to Patreon and to PayPal are in the show notes. Please prayerfully consider that. And we're on YouTube to watch what you're hearing at youtube.com slash the cordial Catholic. If you can find us there, subscribe to that channel as well. Helps to also grow that channel too. Thanks, guys. I am praying for you. Please pray for me too. Talk to you next week and God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordial A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.